Okay, Timothy Chalamet is the Oscar-nominated teen heartthrob the redefining what it means to be a leading man in 2018. Harry Styles is the platinum-selling, award-winning musician asking the world to treat people with kindness. To mark the release of Timothy's hotly approach-anticipated new film, Beautiful Boy, they discuss navigating fame, social media, and modern masculinity. Uh, when Timothy Chalamet shot onto our screens in Call Me By Your Name in 2017, the world fell hard and fast in love with the delicate face and fat... <laughs> Uh, despite his beauty, it was Timothy's skill and power in the role of trilingual, precocious Elio that was most revelatory. It was a role that deservedly earned him the youngest Best Actor nomination in 80 years, and his star has been on an upward trajectory since. It should be noted at this time that this is a reading of a previously written article. I am not the writer of it, simply reading it. It's on vice.com. You can go check it out. It's simply uh, Timothy Chalamet re-interviewed, uh, oh, Harry Styles interviewed by Timothy Chalamet. Um, Harry Styles interviews Timothy Chalamet. All right, reading on. Um, Timothy went on to appear in the Oscar-nominated Greta Gerwig-directed Lady Bird, in which he gave the high school cool kids surprising emotional depth. But it is his current role in the Felix Van Groening, directed by Beautiful Boy, that has boy that has taken his start to the next level. In Beautiful Boy, Timothy plays well-to-do teen Nick who spirals into crystal meth addiction to the horror of his journalist father, David, played by Steve Carell. From the outside, Nick has an enviable life, living in San Francisco's Bay Area on the beautiful surfwash North California coast. A bright, beautiful future awaits him. That's until his interest in drugs take a, takes a dark turn and he abandons home, descending into addiction. Based on the memoirs of father and son, David and Nick Chef, the dual perspective is what gives Beautiful Boy its devastating impact. And we've got a wonderful clip, uh, a wonderful photo of uh, Timothy Chalamet right there. Timothy gives a visceral performance on it as a desperate wounded Nick while his father struggles to account for what went wrong. The cycle of recovery and relapse and back again makes for blistering viewing. But unlike other drugs films, Beautiful Boy offers no trite, moralistic answers. It exists instead as a powerful account of a father and son's relationship and the addiction that shatters their world. Timothy captures Nick in all his complexities, from meeting his dad in a San Fran, a San Fran cafe obnoxiously strung out, only to the ruthless scam of him for cash, to being clean and back home again, wearing the broken demeanour of someone who knows recovery won't last. Uh, Tear-inducing and hard to watch, the film is deservedly the change we want to see in the film industry. He's sensitive, honest, thoughtful, polite, goofy and self-aware. He's in touch with his feminine side, and he smiles. A lot. <laughs> Uh, loved by girls and boys alike for his pretty looks, he's the modern teen heartthrob, the likes of which we haven't seen in film for years. Existing in the same lineage as James Dean, River Phoenix and Leonardo DiCaprio, the 22-year-old New Yorker is rushed at premieres, stalked online, hounded by gossip columns and trailed by paparazzi. The interest is obsessed with him. There are hashtags dedicated to documenting his every mood from Timothy Chalamet doing things to Timothy Chalamet hair. Earlier this year, the Instagram account of Chalamet Teen Art went viral by photoshopping Timothy into famous works of art, including Michelangelo's De David and Botticelli's The Birth of Venus. And then there's another fun link there as well. Um, serious about acting, but playful about his own role in it. Off-screen Timothy, as much as a fanboy as the rest of us, he fawns over Cardi B, Kid Cudi, and Frank Ocean. Um, just as much as we flip out about his LaGuardia High School rap videos, um, which have been watched on YouTube over a million times. At the premiere of Beautiful Boy in his London on this October, Timothy wore a floral hand-painted suit by Sarah Burton at McQueen. It was a look more than a little reminiscent of a certain Harry Styles and it sent the internet into meltdown. Um, 
have another wonderful picture there. I feel bad you guys should go check out the website too. It's just gorgeous there as well. Um, if it isn't the first time comparisons have been made between the doctor, between the actor and the pop star, Timothy and Harry is a future friendship the internet, the internet has willed into existence. There are Tumblr accounts, video montages, memes and fan fiction dedicated to them when they started following each other on Instagram earlier this year. A million teenagers across the globe collectively exhaled. Together they represent a new masculinity, one that's sensitive, thoughtful, creative and unafraid to be who they are. Amazingly, they've never properly met. It's this comfort um, in vulnerability that has launched Timothy into one of the most vital and sought-after actors of his generation. Next year, we will see him flexing his muscles as Henry V in Netflix's The King, before working with Greta Gerwig again in his star-studded adaptation of Little Women. And Dennis Villeneuve, um, on his reboot of the visionary science fiction novel Dune, there's a lot of talk to a sequel of Call Me By Your Name, but first he's got a very important phone call to take. Uh, and then we move into the interview with Harry Styles and... Uh, Mr. Chalamet, I don't know if I can handle this, guys. Actually, um, I'm really excited, and I don't know how to. I'm tempted because I want to do the voices of them as well, and I don't think I'll be able to pull that off. Um, so part of me thinks I should just read it, but, um, yeah, that's the first part. If you guys are interested, uh, I encourage you guys to look it up yourself and check out the rest of the interview. That's just a little bit to get excited about. So yeah. Okay, moving on further into the actual interview. So Harry Styles, uh, Mr. Chalamet. Mr. Styles, it's nice to meet you over the phone. Thank you for doing this. Uh, thanks for asking. I saw a beautiful boy this morning and it's great. Oh my gosh, guys. I don't think I can read this. I'm such like... Okay, I'm a fan of both these people. I, I don't know if you guys know this. I'm obsessed with Harry Styles. I don't even know if I can read the same words as him without not freaking out. Um, but yeah, so thank you for taking the time to watch it. It really means a lot. My first question. David Bowie once said that creativity is like wading out into the ocean. You wade out to the point where you can't touch the bottom. You're a little scared and that's where you do your best work. Do you agree? I have to assume that these questions are written down beforehand. This is incredible. Anyway, sorry. Um, I do agree. It reminds me of a quote. If someone tells an artist that they're brave, they're really telling them that they're crazy. I think that whatever bone gets electrified when I act, there's always a feeling that I'm a little bit out of my depth or out of control. Um, I think that's interesting too. I'm just going to leave in some comments here as well. I mean, I don't know. I've got this. Might as well. Um, in my own, you know, acting experience, it's been very, very interesting to see... Um, there's been pieces that I've been given in the past and I think, oh my goodness, like this is really, this is it. You're given, uh, in my own personal experience, you know, going into speech or whatever, you're given about a page and a half to, to three pages. It's not that long um, of, of information. And you're like, oh my gosh, how are we going to turn this into a 10 minute speech? How are we going to drag this out and make this as um, influential, as important as I possibly can? Um, so it's just amazing to see how much like it's really, how much you can dive into a piece. And I think there's so many angles and so many, um, points where a person can go emotionally as well um with something you know what what is a person's motivations behind what they're feeling it's never just what's written it's it's everything that's you know standing behind it i'm currently reading the book that i did um when i was in high school uh it was white oleander i did not read the book in high school i was advised not to do that and um upon reading it now as a as an older person um i understand why uh it's got a lot of um pretty in-depth things and a lot of uh, mature themes in it but I think it's an amazing book and I'm really glad I'm reading it back now um but it's interesting to see too like the motivations and things that I kind of wish I would have done differently by going through it again because there was a lot of um emotional draws behind the characters that I didn't realize that were there because I hadn't read it before I'd only um really dive in dove into the piece that I had um but it's interesting reading the book back and reading um kind of more backstory behind it and the emotions that I gave them, the motivations that I gave behind the characters and seeing how much uh, 
how much of that was accurate and how much of it was uh, my own interpretation. And that's one of the beautiful things about this as well is because it, it draws on interpretation, uh, which is really, really neat. And, you know, everyone has their own story and everyone expresses emotions differently. And um, really getting to dive into characters and feel that is very, very invigorating. And I think that's kind of that uh, mystery spot when you think that you understand a character. You think that, oh, my gosh, this is this person. They're down here to a T. And then you get to a point where you're like, oh, my gosh, I didn't even know this was an aspect of this person's personality I didn't know that this was something that they were going through um and then I think that gets you to that point where you're like wow this is really uncharted territory and whatever comes out comes out from it and I don't know how it's going to be perceived and I think that's a really beautiful spot when you can see um just when people are so much more than you pegged them originally you're like wow there's a lot going on um emotionally and that's that's really beautiful I think that's where like humanity really stands so um I think that's and it's it's funny because in a musical sense I don't really have a lot of experience and I don't feel as comfortable as uh, talking and speaking on music because even writing like I enjoy poetry but I'm not really much of a, a musical writer or even um yeah so it's just interesting with acting and writing just where that would uh, disperse itself creativity creatively um but yeah so that would be my own personal take on it is just when you get to know a different aspect of a person's uh personality and you're like wow that is there who is this person and realizing that it's much it's much more um it's more over your head than you previously believed there's a lot more to the character than you previously thought and when you can bring that forward to an audience I think that's really really beautiful and um I think that's one of those moments that's just so um quintessential when it comes to viewing uh you know films movie television even theater you know it can all come across in it so I think that stuff's really powerful um but yeah so that's my opinion on that um yeah, so yeah, he says, um, I think if you stay in that safe space all the time, it's very easy to get bored. It's important to rip it up and start again sometimes. And be bad and take risks. I know from working on a movie that if a scene goes wrong and there's laughter on set, it loosens you up for the next take. It's better than protecting yourself and getting lost in your head. The greatest teacher for me has been experience. Um, you know, I'm just going to keep it up. Why not? Uh, I think, yeah, experience is a huge thing. I'm a huge advocate for experience. And I think it's funny when you think that you've once again, you've got it, you think you've got it figured out. You're like, this is what these people want to see. Um, and yeah, allowing yourself to be bad. It kind of reminds me, oh my gosh, when we were trying to do little cheer things, we were coming up with different cheer things, um, as kids. And, um, I would play with the two girls that, uh, they were pastor's daughters and we would come up with cute little cheers. And one time I was like, oh my goodness, I know I can do a somersault and I'm going to, I'm going to do this cool somersault from standing up and I'm going to go into it. And then I went down for it and I promptly, uh, threw myself onto the ground and my back, uh, just hit the ground. I, I went in down for a, a somersault. I don't know what happened to my body. My brain just kind of shut off momentarily and I uh, ended up just slamming myself at the ground. And it was really funny. It was just ridiculous. It was like, what was I thinking? And it's those moments where it's like, wow, this could be potentially embarrassing. But once again, yeah, I think it really, it opens you up and reminds you that you're human as well. And um, not to get too cookie about really anything or about any process, any process. Um, also speaking about getting cocky or too confident, I think um, in my own personal experience, um, it's interesting because some of the most amazing people are some of the most humble people. And I think for my own personal, you know, instance, my own, the way that I stand on things is I think I've been beaten down so much. I've been, you know, even by myself, I've been, you've been so, people have been so mean to me or whatever. I've been so mean to myself that I feel I need to kind of aggressively claim my spot and aggressively or confidently say, I may not know this, but I know this, or I will really stand behind myself. And so it's interesting seeing these actors that are really high level and really, really intelligent people that know a lot and still say, I don't know. And I think that's a really beautiful place to get to. And I personally am 
still struggling to get that, but I think, you know, I, I will get that. It will happen. It will approach, you know, peacefully and gracefully. And, um, I think it's just the, the whole concept of ego, getting that out of the way as well. Um, but yeah. So your character in Beautiful Boy is a pretty intense part. Are you someone who stays in character when the camera cuts or are you able to flip it on and off? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, my part in Beautiful Boy stayed with me longer than I thought it would. I thought one of the traps in this role, especially as a nervous young actor, was going to be to lean into the seriousness of it. I didn't want to try and be on hot on myself as, as hot on myself as possible, thinking that that was what it would take to make it good. After the last day of shooting, I had the strangest walk home. I didn't live it. Nick and David did. But I still feel really affected, drained, and a little devastated. Uh, the movie isn't a downer because it's really redemptive and hopeful, um, but it did take. But it did feel like a punch to the stomach. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I feel. I did a. I did a speech. Okay. I, yeah, I keep popping in and out. Whatever. Um, I did a speech on a stillborn child, and it was interesting because it was about this woman who um, she got pregnant with her first baby. And they don't mention if she has another child or if she ends up um, getting to have another baby or whatever, uh, or have another baby. Um, you just hear that she didn't keep to keep her first child. And um, it's a really intense speech. And it was something that was kind of interesting to me because it was very difficult for me to adopt that character and the emotions associated with that. And that sounds really dark. Um, but in my mind, I just it was very difficult to get into the headspace of that. And I think sometimes you want to protect yourself emotionally from getting into really dark places. Um, I've heard, you know, as well, Jennifer Lawrence talking about in the movie Mother, that was really, really hard on her. She had to kind of, you are admitting yourself, you're an actor, but like, I think as people have talked about before, is it's you really becoming that person when you act. So I think that's difficult with really intense roles is to protect yourself in that sense. And how can you protect yourself when you're trying to really become this person? You're trying to really have that evoke um, all those emotions on your face and you, you want the story to be really, really beautifully told and really come across, but you also want to protect your own psyche from it. So I think that's an interesting, difficult place. And I think anytime you play a really intense role, it's going to stick with you in some regard. You know, um, yeah, what I've also noticed is uh, we all experience intense um, emotions. And even if you yourself haven't personally gone through an experience, you can associate an emotion with that. And then you can kind of tap into that when you're playing a, a role. Um, yeah, so that's what I'd say about that. Um, we all know addiction is an illness that affects so many people. So why do you think it is cloaked in so much secrecy and shame? I'm no authority on this, but I think it's because it's easier to see it that way. It's comforting for people to give a face to addiction and I think and think it couldn't affect you, uh, your family or loved ones, when in reality, when the reality, like you said, is that it's an illness that doesn't discriminate. It knows no race, class, or gender. It's very human illness um, that affects a lot of people our age. One of the things that I really like about Beautiful Boy is that it doesn't go into why Nick's addicted. I think it's easier for people to think it's a choice, that when people are addicted, they're on this big party binge and euphoria when there's often a big black hole, as Nick would say, or a place of pain. Um, yeah, it's hard not to get emotional reading that. I think it's really interesting and insightful. Um, yeah. All right, I'm going to move on to the next question here. Yeah. Um, when you first watched the completed film, did anything about how it turned out surprise you? Um, I was more terrified to see this movie than anything I've ever been in before because it was based on real people. I felt really felt pressure and seeing it for the first time there wasn't the most comfortable experience mm. yeah yeah I can't really ah yeah I can't really I don't know what to say to that yeah 
I think it's interesting that he says it wasn't the most comfortable experience. Um, yeah, I can't speak on that. Um, whenever I've done stuff in film or music videos, I've often put secret messages in for friends. Like, I'll have someone's name or something, or, well, necklaces that my friend's kids have made or something. Do you ever put secret messages to people in your movies? Um, I'm a very tactile af- actor. If I get start getting in my head that I suck, then I do start reaching out for things, and I do have little mementos. Certainly on a film like Call Me By Your Name, when we're looking to shoot in a house, there were lots of nooks and crannies where I felt safer. Um, I have little things for myself in each role, and little things I try to take with me after I rap. It's interesting. Um, when you were reading the script for Call Me By Your Name, what was the one scene that made you uh, think you have to do this? Ooh. It might be the scene where Elio reveals his feelings for Oliver by the war monument. The book is so genuine and so accomplished and well written that I felt that one scene would have been a bar- barometer um, for whether we would pull it off or not. Um. <laughs> On the day, Luca Guadagnino? I don't know how to say that. Guadagnino? I don't know. Didn't quite know how he wanted to shoot it, and it was actually Army Hammer who had the idea to do it in one take and in a wide shot. It took away the whole cringy Hollywood feeling. If you mute the movie, you can't tell it's somebody telling someone else that they're in love with them. Mm. That's really cool. That's interesting. Um, yeah. What is a much more real way in which that would happen? Mm. I think so. You might scare someone away if it, we went too big. Yeah, that's true. That's true, yeah. Yeah, I think conversations are terrifying you know yeah it makes sense for the sake of a movie to get in really close and to be like all right it's the moment they're revealing their feelings but in real life I think you'd almost want to approach it more nonchalantly you know you don't want to really dive into it too hard because what will people think you know what what if they say no you know you don't necessarily want to throw it all on on the line um yeah that makes sense um there have been rumblings of a sequel are you nervous about carrying on a story that so many people loved uh, we made the first movie in the humble hope that fans of the book would go and see it. I would love to do a sequel. The challenge is really exciting to me. Can you still eat peaches? Um, I can, with, but not without thinking about it. Um, I've had a hard time. That's the most awkward scene to see with your parents in the world. My poor father. I have not seen the movie, so I'm a little embarrassed to read this. I feel terrible going over it. I just read it for them. I was like, oh my gosh, I love these two people. Um, but I haven't seen the movie, so might be embarrassed reading that back later, but yeah. I'm sure he's done it too. You're close with your family, right? Yes, I am. Are you the same? Yeah, sometimes my parents will come on tour and it's always nice to have them around. The last couple of years have been nuts for you. What roles have your parents played in keeping uh, some sense of normalcy around you? I think the most precious thing I can get from my parents, and I try to give it back to them as much as I can, is their love and support. I hope that doesn't sound cheesy, but it's true. In your late teens, early 20s, you suddenly realize that your parents are human. And that doesn't mean I get really great advice from them, um, because I do. But when you reach a certain age and you take control of your own life, my mom recently put up this photo of her and my dad at the early premiere of Beautiful Boy, and it's heart-shattering in a great way. They are just becoming, they're just beaming with pride. It's almost overwhelming. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Do you ever get a moment to yourself to take it all in and realize just how amazing this is? I keep a journal as I find it always helps with writing songs, even if it's just a bullet points to make me stop and keep track of what's happening. Yeah, I keep a journal and I'll jot down things in the notes app on my phone too. Gratitude and appreciating where you are is very important to me, but that comes with time. Having enough time to write in a journal or simply be thankful. I have about a year and a half of work coming up now. 
I'm doing Little Women in Dune and I hope I can take two time to appreciate it all. What comforts me is that when I wake up with, within healthy boundaries, I always have a subtle feeling of gratitude. It's really awesome to hear that someone like you who's been doing this for a good amount of time has that objectivity and ability to step back and write that in that journal, to take time and reflect. Take time self-reflect is important. A lot of time, when you do something that goes well, your thoughts immediately turn to what's next. Everything moves so fast that you often don't get a chance to stop and think, holy shit, that was really amazing. Um, I just finished my tour and it's a great step back and I think this isn't real life. This is just a really incredible job that I do. Um, Are those moments of objectivity incremental or do you set aside a chunk of time to do that? I find they just happen when they happen. I get a lot of them when I'm driving, I'm listening to something and I'll go back to when I was 12 or something and I'll think, shit, if my 12 year old self could see me now. And I think it's really important to have those moments because if you don't, then there's an expectation that life is supposed to be this great. And I think that's super dangerous. That's interesting. Uh, That terrifies me and I'm still not sure how to navigate it, um, which is why I'm grateful I grew up in New York. I spend as much time in New York as possible. I'm fanning over Kid Cudi because he's from Cleveland and I have tenfold respect for the idea of someone coming who isn't that from LA or New York or any of the centers of the industry and launching your career. It seems like an incredible mountain to climb. Um, Sometimes on TV shows. Oh, okay. So they they talked about a lot of interesting stuff here. I'm going to pause really quick because that that was a lot of information. It's kind of unpacking a lot. Um, Then we'll resume in a little bit, but that was fascinating. Um, I hope you guys are enjoying this so far and uh, thanks for tuning in. All right, we've come back from a quick pause there. Um, I would like to mention at this time that a lot of this is pre-written, so I'm not going to take any ads on this because I believe that I'm just adding in, you know, a couple comments here and there. But for the most part, this is not my property at all, and I'm not going to try and uh, come on any infringement there. So this will have no ads on it. This is purely, um, just this purely uh, IDs, voices uh, article. So uh, continuing on. Uh, sometimes uh, with Harry right here. So sometimes on TV shows, you can seem really nervous, but on screen, you're an extremely confident actor. Do you find it easier to play someone else rather than being yourself? Wow, he is not, wow, messing around there. Oh, that's a great question. I think poison for young people publicly in social settings or in life in general is self-assumption. And I think that's what makes me nervous on talk shows. I'm new to all of this. So I put myself in the audience's shoes and imagine them seeing this young, unrecognizable guy trying to talk about movies seriously and blinking at that. Um, I just got to say quickly here, I think it's so funny that Timothy Chalamet is like, he constantly, he's always, you know, kind of reinstating that like nobody knows who he is. And I have only known him. I mean, I guess this is true for any celebrity, but like I've only known him as a successful celebrity. So the idea of him being unrecognizable or unknowable is just so funny to me because it's like oh my gosh Timothy like you can take credit for this like you've done amazing work uh take credit you don't have to worry about it you do not have to worry about it um and I in my own experience with just creating um I I keep clarifying in my own experience because I think you know I want to make sure that my words aren't not being mixed with his words and excuse me that um because since I'm reading this out that it's kind of more a little more of a clear line um but yeah it's scary especially when you're trying to self-edit um, I think that's, you know, problems with, you know, speakers in general. It's, it's a difficult to know what the people are hearing and how it's going to be perceived. Um, so just trying to get a judge for that, even while you're saying it, can be very, very stressful. Uh, as I've noticed listening back to this podcast already, I'm like, what what things are we saying? So, um, yeah. Okay, moving on to the next question. Uh, do you feel pressure to be political in this day and age? Um, I don't know about... 
I don't know if it's a pressure. I do feel it's a responsibility, though. I was talking about this with Steve Carell, about how there was a general complacency in previous generations that everything was going along nicely and that ratcheted the stakes up really high. Uh, people our age are so much more engaged, and I think that's a good thing. I think that's a wonderful uh, social uh, acknowledgement. I think that's great to point that out because I think that's really true. People, I mean, as a result of cancel culture, and it's kind of terrifying to know like that anything you say could be held against you but at the same time people are listening which is a great point to bring up so I really appreciate that he that he like said that so that's really um very intelligent mark so I appreciate that um we're living in a time where it's impossible to not be aware of what's going on in the world society has never been so divisive it's important to stand up for what we think is right I would love for my views to come through my music um I make things I make and the things I do that's a very powerful way that we can use our voices I think for a long time people thought that what I do doesn't matter but revolution comes from small acts and now people are realizing that's what sparks real change we are living in a really inspiring time this is Timothy because so many of these voices people like Emma Gonzalez for example are really young uh, it's people I who are going to deal with all of this and who are dealing with it now it was interesting being uh at the Golden Globes and the Oscars last year because there was this huge tension in self-celebration, which is what award ceremonies are about. But when so many people are suffering and so many people have grievances, and not just petty grievances, but rightful grievances. Um, yeah, that's a pretty intense point. I, I appreciate that and I like that he brought that up. That's a really good point. Um, yeah, definitely a shift in the atmosphere. That makes sense. I think even people watching it were like, what is going on? This feels very different. Um, we can't necessarily celebrate it as we used to, um, which is possibly a good thing. Um, so yeah, moving on with Harry again. Uh, today, there are so many ways for us to be engaged. I think that's the main positive of social media, but that's also a lot I find super dangerous about social media. I'm interested to hear what you think, the good and the bad. Uh, Timothy says, in the late eight, uh, thousands, when the Arab Spring happened in Egypt, there was a real optimism around the internet and the possibilities of social media. But in the last three or four years, there's almost been a second wave of social media where people only hear what they want to hear and they only yell into their own echo chamber. My old roommate told me he'd read interviews with the creators of the internet where they say they're haunted by what they've become, but what it has become and what they despise about the negativity and the disinformation it can imbue. Um, on a more micro level and in my experience, social media is really tricky to navigate because the last thing I want to do as an artist is create in a vacuum. But if you read the comments, then you are opening yourself up to real self-damage. I'm envious of a time when people are locked, really locked eyes and there wasn't the escape of a screen. It's the caricature of someone at a party scrolling through Tetris. It's um, interesting. Really good point. I like that he comments on both sides of that. Um, Harry says back, On a personal level, I feel a noticeable change in how happy I am when I'm not on social media. Someone once described it to me like at a house party where there are three people who are great and 23 people who aren't that nice. You wouldn't just go into that party, would you? That kind of summarizes my feelings about social media. I dip in, I see my friends that I want to see, and I dip out. Timothy, was that intuitive for you? Uh, it's something I learned over time, especially starting out because when you first start, you're encouraged to give as much as you can. But it goes back to separating work from the rest of your life. Um, oops. Here we go. Um, and realizing that there are things that you need to keep to yourself and there's things that you don't have to share with everything. It keeps everything a little nicer. Um, it's that. It's that about... It's about having that self-awareness of your digital input as well as output. 
exactly i'm very aware that if you go on social media and look you can find whatever you're looking for if you're looking for bad comments you're going to find bad comments but people still do this it's like a weird self-torture it's masochistic i used to do it when i started but now i don't anymore and i feel this noticeable change in how happy i am which is nice but i'm not bashing social media i think social media does a lot of good and it's important to notice that and grow with it Ultimately, there's no going back. It's just the way it is. So what was it like to work on Dunkirk? I had a small role in Interstellar and I was so thrilled to work with Christopher Nolan. He's my favorite filmmaker. That's Timothy right there. And then uh, Harry Styles responding with, I've always been a mass, such a massive fist of Christopher Nolan too. When he was sitting at the back of the room when I was auditioning, I felt very lucky to be even be in that room. Dunkirk was strange because it's my first film, so I didn't have to anything to compare it to. Um, it looked like such a barren landscape. It didn't look like a vacation at all. No, it wasn't. Uh, they told me when we were doing a movie on a beach, I had very different ideas. I definitely enjoyed playing someone else. I loved being so far out of my comfort zone. I loved being on that set and being the guy that who had no idea what was he was doing. I really enjoyed that. Oh man, I really hope that you act in something else because I don't know if that means anything for me, but I thought it was really fucking excellent in that movie. Thank you very much. That movie's amazing, Timothy again. Watching it, I kept thinking, oh man, I hope Harry doesn't think every movie set is World War II ships. H. Um, everyone's told me that whatever I work on next will be a walk in the park compared to Dunkirk, but I enjoyed it. Thinking about where the world's at today, do you feel a responsibility as an actor to represent a new form of masculinity on screen? The concept of masculinity has changed so much when we were growing up. Timothy responds with uh, this really wonderful long answer, which I'm really excited about. Um, to, you know what's really funny? I was going to ask you a version of that question, but I worried it might be giving myself too much credit to make to think I can make a change like that. But if you gave me that license, then I would say absolutely. It's one of the reasons I'm so happy to get on the phone with you, because growing up, we didn't have people like that to look up to, but it wasn't as obvious. People like Lil B, I hope won't roll their eyes reading this, was really impactful for me because he really blurred the lines as a musician. I would be so thrilled to know that the roles I'm playing are instigating change in some way. How do I phrase this? Um, how do I phrase this? I think there's something to be written about this by someone way smarter than I am. Uh, I want to say that you can be whatever you want to be. There isn't a specific notion or gene size or muscle shirt or affectation or affectation or, or eyebrow raise on disillusion or drug that you have to take in part to be masculine. It's exciting. It's a brave new world. Maybe it's because of social media, because it's who the fuck knows, but there's a real excitement for my generation about doing things in a new way. I would be really curious to hear what you have to say about it. Um, Harry Styles. Uh, I didn't grow up in a man's world. I grew up with my mom and my sister, but I definitely think in the last two years I've become a lot more content with who I am. I think there's so much masculinity in being vulnerable and allowing yourself to be feminine, and I'm very comfortable with that. Growing up, you don't even know what those things mean. You have this idea of what being masculine is, and you grow up and experience more of the world, and you become more comfortable with who you are. And today it's easier to embrace masculinity in so many different things. I definitely find through music, writing, talking with friends, and being open that some of the times when I feel most confident is when I'm allowing myself to be vulnerable. It's something that I definitely try to do. Um, that's really beautiful and inspiring, and certainly goes back to being feeling comfortable in chaos and creating in madness. It's almost a high to be vulnerable. I really get that. I think it can be achieved in art, but also in intimacy. It's the craziest feeling to achieve that vulnerability. If us having this conversation in any infinitesimal way can help anyone, a guy or girl, realize that being vulnerable is not a weakness, not a social barrier. It doesn't mean you're crazy or hyper-emotional. You're just human, which I think is something your music gets at, and hopefully movies do too. Hopefully my, my movies do too. Humans are complex. We need to feel a lot of things. We are not homogenous. H. Uh, it's not a straight line for sure. A couple of things for you. The last couple of years have been nuts. How are you finding it? Are you having fun? 
RT. Dude, I feel so much gratitude. I say it to my dad a lot and he makes fun of me because I never used to talk like this, but I see people our age and how how invigorated they are for the world and it inspires me. Three years ago, I was nervous because people were talking about social media affecting attention spans and how nobody could sit down anymore and art and film were relics. But I actually feel like this stuff is urgent and for whatever fucking reason, I have an ability now to choose what to bring life to. Right now, I'm working on Little Woman in Boston with Greta Gerwig, Soishi Ronan and Emma Watson. And I just pinch myself that I get to be this fly on the wall for this legendary narrative. Um, did you get a break in the first few years or was it pretty intense? Uh, H, they were pretty intense. It's only in the last two years that I've really had the chance to stop and reflect. And I'm definitely thankful that I've had a moment to process everything. Now I'm excited about whatever's next. Are you excited about the future? And I mean your future, not the future of humanity or anything like that. <laughs> T, yeah, sorry, man. I'm just going macro. H, you can choose your films now, which is amazing. When you're starting out, you spend so long wanting people to watch your films, or listen to your music. And then you find when they finally do, you're like, what's next? What do you worry about now? Uh, making the right choices, T says back. I think there's an anxiety that in us that correlates with our age and I want to be able to have a conversation with you in 15 years time. Uh, I've always been about trying to work with great directors for me. I'm working with Greta Gerwig now and then I'm doing something with one of my favourite directors ever, a really beloved American art house director. Then I'm going to do Dune, directed by Dennis Villeneuve. Um, I've always had dreamed of being in a big movie like Dunkirk, A Dark Knight or Inception. So that's the truth, Harry. There's this fear too, like there always was. But I'm glad that fear revolves around movies and choices and not whether or not I can pay my rent. I have a lot of gratitude for that. I hope we can get a chance to be on a film set together. Do you know what you're working on next? H, I'm making my second album right now, so I'm going to do that. Read a lot, see what happens. Uh, When I got the role in Dunkirk, it happened right at the start of my first album, so I had to stop everything for five months, but stuff like that always happens when it happens, so I don't know, man. Um, I'm just enjoying not knowing, to be honest. T. I'm finding that it to be true with a lot of musicians I've met. They're on a way less schedule than actors who literally have to show up and be at a certain time. I don't know, man. It must be like 3 a.m. wherever you are now. Musicians operate at their discretion. H, when I was in the band, I always knew what I was doing two years in advance. Now I'm making records on my own. And it's pretty exciting because I know this is all I'm going to be doing until I finish the record, which it's a new way of working. Uh, T. I imagine the creative process working on an individual album must be way different to when you're younger, making music in tandem with others. H. Yeah, when I first started, I didn't really know what I was doing. Uh, so I tried to write as much as possible with as many different people as possible and try to learn as much as I could. I guarantee I wrote a lot of really bad, really, really bad shit before I wrote anything good. Um, just a couple of things for you. If you were told you were only allowed to listen to one song, watch one movie, read one book, and talk to one person for the rest of your life, what would you choose? T. Okay, one song, uh, one movie, one book, one person. I just wrote that down. I put it in my notes. That's a great question. Uh, One song would be Rain by Kid Cudi. One movie would be Punch Drunk Love. Um, One book, the book of Disquiet. That's the book. uh, That's just what I'm reading now. And one person... I'll keep that mysterious. I'll keep that to myself, but I have a clear answer in my head. What about you? Can I flip that on you? Is that fair? Of course, feel free. Uh, my song would be Madame George by Van Morrison. My movie would be Goodfellas. My book would be, I have two. It would either be Haruki Marikami's Norwegian Wood or Rob Shelfield's Love is a Mixtape, which I suggest you read if you haven't read it already. It's really beautiful. And who's your person? My person, Harry. Uh, I think I'm going to do the same as you. I'm going to withhold. All right, fair, fair. I think it's a fair exchange. Oh, yes, yes. 
Oh man, um, another photo there. There's been a couple photos I haven't mentioned them, but there's there. All right, a couple of quick five questions, and I have one final question for you. Okay, all right, what is your go-to karaoke song? Hot shape box, but I'm too wary of doing that in front of people I don't know. All right, New York or LA? New York, New York, hands down. When I land, I kiss the tarmac, baby. Football or basketball? Oh man, I declare a tie. And favorite TV show? The Office. Uh, Kobe or LeBron? Now we get to the hard stuff. Um, uh, look, LeBron is the athlete of my generation. Kobe wins on the talent. I loved LeBron when he went to Miami. I loved him again when he went to Cleveland. Now I'm like a fanboy that's trying to buy a Lakers jersey. Uh-huh, all right. And uh, just to clarify, this is before the unfortunate and untimely and horrible tragic death of Kobe Bryant. So I just want to put that in there here as well. Um, and another question, uh, Jay-Z or Beyonce? Oh, man, that's no, because they're both so awesome. J-Bay. Uh, uh -huh. all right. And what do you wear in bed? Tea, nothing. Uh, last text you sent. Uh, I'll tell you right now. Looks at phone. I got a text someone back. The last text I received was from my dad about Beautiful Boy. He says that it had a good opening. Then he links to a box office report about Venom. He would never see Venom, so I don't know why he sent me that. Uh, guilty pleasure? Uh, Rick and Morty, maybe. Uh, that's not guilty, though. A lot of people love that. Have you seen Big Mouth? No, I haven't. Uh, do, you, do I have to get into that? Yeah, it's on Netflix. Go watch Big Mouth. All right. Uh, Cardi B or Nicki Minaj? Oh my gosh. Look, Nikki went to my high school, but Cardi's a legend, so we can't really, so can't we all just love each other? I wish they'd never gotten in that fight. That was so surreal. Look, Nikki's a legend. Cardi's bringing that heat. What about you? I'm asking the questions. Fair, fair. What's your happy place? Uh, it's a mental happy place. It's a summer's day in New York. Nice. I have one final question for you before we finish. What is the meaning of life? Timothy responds with, um, that we're all only here for so long live and let live, love deeply, love openly, and know that the wise man knows he's ignorant but cultivates more understanding. Very nice, very nice. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, man. Man, what a pleasure. Thanks for doing this. And that is the end of the interview. Um, honestly, I'm really, really impressed with it. I'm really surprised by it, and it's so cool to get to hear two really um, perceptive and... Uh, Two people that really dive deep within themselves talk to each other. Uh, I mean, Harry asks a lot of fabulous questions, and I think that um, Timothy does very well on the spot. I'm thinking with that last meaning of life question, honestly, like, that's a beautiful response. Seriously, it kind of encapsulates everything, and I appreciate that he didn't go with just one thing. He mentioned, you know, everything that he kind of needed to within that short period of time, so that was pretty impressive. Um, yeah, I actually want to read that one more time just because I think that's really that's a really neat response. Um, so yeah, one final question before we finish. What is the meaning of life? And Timothy responds with that we're all only here for so long. Live and let live. Love deeply. Love openly. And know that the wise man knows he's ignorant but cultivates more understanding. I think that's a beautiful piece. Um, I wonder where he uh, contrived that from. I mean, it could be from personal experience and I'm sure to some degree it was. I wonder who his mentors are. I feel like that'd be an interesting question as well to hear um, the people that he's really impressed with and what really brought him to his appreciation for film and what really did that for him as an actor. Um, but yeah, this was a really fun interview. I'm glad that we got to hear it and see some of it and I'm glad that you guys got to listen in. Uh, let me know if you guys have any uh, comments or questions. I might be doing this more with other interviews, but I um, appreciate you guys being here and listening in. Thanks. Bye. Okay, so I feel bad because I had this out for about like, I don't know, a year or whatever. Um, 
and I wasn't doing any AdSense on it because I didn't want to take any any money from it. I figured Vice wrote the article. I didn't want to take anything from that. Um, but I was talking to my brother about it, and he's like, dude, like, why wouldn't you monetize it? So I guess I, I did put enough of my own input in there that I feel, like, comfortable taking it. Part of me is like, it's Harry Styles, it's Timothy Chalamet. It's like, I can't take that. But at the same time, you know, um, if I want to get more ad placements, I think it's kind of nice to use the ones that I do have. So thank you for the opportunity for me to share this with you guys. Um, appreciate that. Thanks. And um, enjoy the rest of the episode.